0: All right. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, those of you who are here uh, in the room at one of our physical places, locations, and those of you online, really, really glad you're with us. And that song we just heard, Don't Want to Fight No More, that wouldn't be a bad theme song for the year for our culture, would it not? And uh, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe we can start doing better. And we're going to talk about how to resolve conflict and, and, and take it kind of past the goal line tonight or today. But, uh, but before that, let me say a word that about something that you're going to see later in this service. And that's related to our children's ministry. We talked about last year uh, after my talk and a little bit of other stuff, uh, you're going to see some uh, really cool things happening. Uh, there's a video about it, about children's ministry here. And if you were looking for a way to help pass the baton to the next generation and make a really big difference in our world. And you're wondering how to plug in and how to serve. Let me encourage you to dive into Kidsco at one of our campuses, obviously, if you live in the area. And uh, I mean, you'll make an impact for eternity for lots of kids' lives. Uh, you'll have a blast doing it. God will reward you for eternity for all that you do. And you'll get a free T-shirt. So there's that. Um, so uh, today we are concluding our series called Resolve. Or we've been looking to say, hey, let's just like this resolve pet spray. Hey, with the with the messes in our relationships, rather than just leaving them there, let's resolve them. Let's deal with them because they don't get better over time. And 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 all of us have in our relationships, even those that matter the most to us, in fact, probably more in those relationships than others. We have this unresolved stuff because it's easier not to deal with it. It's easier just to kind of leave it there. And whether it's a big hurt or a big issue that we just tried to move on from without really resolving it or even little things, little things matter, too, because they pile up and pile up and pile up and they're affecting us and weighing down our relationships, weighing down our life in ways that we don't want, that God doesn't want. And and therefore, the Bible actually talks a lot about how to do this. And today uh, we're going to that's what we're going to talk about. As we're going to jump back into the story of a broken relationship between this Old Testament major character in the Old Testament, David, who was king over God's people in the Old Testament era, Israel and his son, Absalom. And we're going to see the end of the story and and learn how to how to get across the goal line, how to how to go all the way in our in conflict resolution and that phrase going all the way can be used lots of different ways in different contexts. But I made it in the Chris Berman, if you know who he is from ESPN. The he could go all the way calling a football game. In fact, just to get us all in a good mood this weekend, uh we're gonna see uh this is the Cowboys. Uh let's watch, uh let's watch passes He's gone. He could go oh. No. Wayne Cooper touchdown. Now, hopefully we'll see a lot of those uh, this uh, this season. And by the way, Amari Cooper, where's what college did you go to? I'm trying to remember. Um, you may want to Google it later. I'll Google it right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you're playing football, right, just like they did. He could go all the way. That's what you want. Like when you're playing a football game, you're not just trying. You're not just running around. That's not your goal. Your goal is to get across the goal line. Your goal is to score a touchdown. And that's what we're going to talk about um, today is in these relationships or the conflicts we have rather just kind of working around them to say, how can we really resolve them? And the cool thing is, is if you and I do what we're going to talk about uh, then in our relationships, then in most cases, not all, some conflicts are different, but in 99% of the conflicts and hurts that we have, if we resolve them the way we're going to talk about our relationship will actually get better than if the convert, than if the conflict had never happened in the first place in terms of how God can redeem it in terms of how we'll be better people and how our relationship will be better. Again, some conflicts are different uh, than that, but most of them in that way. And what we're going to see is in order to get across the goal line, it takes two things, blank and blank. And you're going to have to listen to the rest of the talk to fill in the blanks. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to you know, we've been in this uh, story, as I said, between David and Absalom. And let me catch us up with the story. So David, king of Israel, a very powerful time in Israel's history, um, is has a son named Absalom, who at that point Is the next in line to the throne, but that's not where the story starts where the story starts is a major offense that happens. And we're focused on the offense between father and son, but the story starts with a much worse offense between a brother and half sister. And that is Amnon, who at that time was crown prince of Israel. He was the next in line to the throne. Um, David had lots of wives and lots of sons, lots of princes and princesses. He shouldn't have, but he did. And that's going to cause a lot of problems, including this one. So Amnon, who uh, has a brother, half brother named Absalom that we're talking about in this story. Absalom is second in line to the throne. Amnon first. Absalom has a full sister named Tamar, who's Amnon's half sister. Right. Same dad, different mom. He sexually assaults her. It's a terrible story. Terrible thing that happens. And that leaves Tamar goes to Absalom's house. They're all waiting for David to do what he's supposed to do as both father and king to bring accountability for Amnon, to bring justice for Tamar. And he doesn't do it. He should, but he doesn't. And that's where the problem between father and son goes really, really deep. The Bible says that that David got mad. But he doesn't do anything about Amnon. He doesn't reach out to Tamar. He doesn't do anything. And after two years of David doing nothing, Absalom decides it's time for somebody to do something. And so he does. And he kills Amnon. He kills his half-brother. He kills the crown prince because to avenge Tamar. And then he runs for his life because he assumes that David and the troops are going to be chasing him. And he goes to a neighboring kingdom his mother's dad's kingdom to hide out over there for refuge. But the reality is nobody's chasing him. David is sad about Amnon. I'm sure he's angry with Absalom, but he does once again, nothing. And for three years, Absalom is in this other kingdom and uh, David is doing nothing. And and the Bible says that he wants to, says he longs to be restored to Absalom. His heart longs to reconcile with Absalom in this conflict they have. But he doesn't reach out to him. He doesn't do anything. So a relative, a guy named Joab, who's also the head of the army, decides he's going to step in because it's a bad situation. You have the king and the next in line to the throne, his son, the crown prince, are are need to be reconciled. And so he talks David into summoning Absalom to be able to come and, hey, you're not going to be killed or anything. Come back to Jerusalem so that they can reconcile. So Absalom comes to Jerusalem But for two years, the Bible says, David refuses to see him. Absalom wants to see his dad, wants to talk it through, wants to be reconciled. But David is just not interested in playing. And for two years, it goes like that. So now it's been five years since the big offense. Five years this has been going on. And after a while, Absalom is like, you know, enough's enough. And actually, it's been seven years. So because this goes on for two years. He does something pretty extreme, if you saw the last one, to get David's attention so that David will see him. And that's what happens. And that's where we left off in the story the last time. They do get together. And here's what we read. Then the king summoned Absalom and he came in. Picture the courtroom. There's there's lots of people there. This wasn't in private. This would have been in public. The king summoned Absalom and he came in and bowed down with his face to the ground before the king right there at the throne. And the king kissed Absalom. Now that sounds really sweet, doesn't it? In fact, it's kind of like, oh, he kissed him. You know, so go ahead and just say, oh, you know, Aw, isn't that sweet? And uh, and you think, okay, that's that's great, but it's really not as sweet as you think. I mean, you read that and you think, oh, good, it's all good. Like they've reconciled. It's it's everything is great. He brought him in. They kissed. I mean, it's great. It's a great story, but that's not really what's going on here. Um, they they didn't cross the. The finish line. I mean, when you read it, you might think that like, hey, they just crossed the finish line. They've resolved their conflict. You know, he you know, the touchdowns made you spike the ball. You do a little end zone dance. I need to get better. I need to come up with a better. That's the uh, what is it? The gopher on Caddyshack dance. Right. That's about all I can do. That's my dancing ability right there. But I uh, but nobody's doing that. Nobody should do the dance because they actually don't really get much of anywhere. What David is doing here is something that a king would do. They don't talk. They don't work through it. He just summons him there in public and kisses him. And what that signals to everybody in the kingdom is, okay, he's in my good graces again. I'm not going to kill him for what he did. And you can't either. And in essence, we're generally good. But really, they're not good. They haven't resolved anything. They don't talk. They don't do anything. Absalom goes back to his palace. David stays in the main palace. And there's no resolution. It's kind of David's way of saying, you know what? We're good. Right? We good? Yeah, we're good. Even though they're not really good. I mean, think about that a little bit. Like, like that, that phrase, hey, you know, man, I'm sorry. We we good? Yeah, we're good. That that quick kind of thing works well if if the offense is pretty small. Like, let's say you, you know, step on my toe or something by accident. You say, oh, man, I'm sorry. We good? Oh, of course we're good. I mean, yeah, we're good. Or I, I, you loan, a, I, I loan out a pen. You borrow a pen from me, a $2 pen and you lose it or you bite on it. Don't you hate when people bite on your pen and then they hang about, you know, hand it back to you and you're like, you know what? Why don't you keep it? It's a gift. You know, right? You do that. and You say, hey, man, I'm sorry, man. I just didn't think, you know, you know, we good. Yeah, we're good. Like that, that works. But let's take it up a lot. Let's say, and this is taking it up a lot. Let's say you kill my dog. Okay, like I love my dog. Let's say you kill my dog. I don't know why you did that. I, that's a terrible thing to do. And then if you come to me, you've killed my dog and you say, oh, man, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done that. We good. Be like, um, no, we're not good. Like we're a long way from being good. Like maybe we could be good again, but you killed my dog. I mean, we we've got some things to work through here. And that's where David and Absalom were after this seven-year thing. There's a lot they need to work through, but David's really not working through it at all. They're not good at all. And so, what are they going to do? Well, this goes on for a while, right? And uh, and and Absalom is doing his thing, and David is doing his thing. They're not reconciled, and the hurt only grows for Absalom. The anger only grows for Absalom. And he's going to do something in his hurt and anger that is a really, really bad idea. But you and I can't be too hard on him because you and I do things that are bad ideas when we leave hurt and anger in our life. And what happens in his case is that he's the crown prince. He's the next in line to the throne. He's right there. He's got his own little house, his own little palace. Everybody knows it in the kingdom. Everybody knows him. They know he's the next king and everybody really likes him. And the Bible tells us that, that he was really popular Everybody thought he was great. They were looking forward to him being the next king. Um, one of the reasons they like him is that uh, not, only, not only was he great personality and stuff, but he was also actually a really great looking person. And the Bible brings it out. It says, now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in Israel. He was flawless. That's pretty good. From head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year and then only because it was so heavy. So he's a good looking guy with awesome hair. And if you're over 35 and a guy, you appreciate that. Like, you know, don't you know some people with like really, really great hair and you kind of hate them, but you love them. I mean, they're, you know, like, like we have a couple of uh, Chase Oakers. They actually that I think of right away. They both go, go to Sloan Creek campus. I don't know what they do up there. at Sloan Creek the waters different or something. But but these two guys, Scott Fleming, Tim Clay, I'll call them out. Wonderful people. They have great hair. Like they should never wear a hat. It's a sin for them to wear a hat because they are, it's just, it's just awesome. And I look at, and I do, they're they're incredible people. I really care about them. I really love them a lot. I respect them a lot. But at the same time, I'm a little angry that God gave that to them and not me. You know, just like, why them? Like, why them? And they take it for granted. They don't think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal, right? So now that's going to come back. Remember the hair thing, because that's actually going to come back around. But another reason Absalom was so popular is because he's actually a really pretty good leader. Like David, by this point, David had been a good king in some ways. He's a great military leader. There were different things that he did well. There were a lot of things he did not do well. He's a bad dad. We've seen that. Um, not only here, but in other stories, too. And he was also not so great. Part of the being a king back then was resolving people's disputes and meeting with people and serving as kind of a judge and a to, to settle things. David really wasn't so into that. So he wasn't really doing that. So people were coming to Absalom to do that. And Absalom did it and he was good at it and people appreciated it. So what started to happen is people were like, hey, look, Absalom, you know, you're the next king. And um, and, you know, David is kind of checked out. Wouldn't it be better if he just became king now? Like, you're so awesome. You got great hair. You're a really good leader. Man, why don't you? And, and some of David's closest advisors were part of that. The army, most of the army was like, hey, we would side with you in a minute. And normally he wouldn't do it, but in his hurt and anger, he's going to say, you know what? I'll do it. And he does. And he stages a coup. Most of the army's with Absalom. So it's a surprise thing. It's pretty easy for. Most of the army to quickly take over Jerusalem, to quickly take over the palace, to quickly take over the capital. And they do. David is able to escape. He runs for his life with a smaller number of troops that are loyal to him. And now there's a civil war between father and son. It culminates in a battle. And at this battle, 20,000 people die. Think about that. 20,000 soldiers die in this battle including Absalom. And that ends the battle. But you know how Absalom dies? Goes back to his hair. So he's on his horse. He's, you know, going through, you know, going and he, he goes into the wrong place. There's just all of David's troops and he sees him. He's like, oh, I got to make a U-turn. This is not the place to be. He makes a U-turn, goes under a tree with his long flowing hair. You know what happens? He gets caught up. In, in the hair, in his hair, gets caught up in the tree. He's dangling by his hair. The horse goes on. He's dangling by his hair. And David's troops find him that way. They stab him, kill him as he's hanging there. So the real moral of this talk is if you're proud of yourself for having great hair. It's really not so great. No, that's not the moral of this story. No, um, but that is how he dies. Now, David. Um, you know, you think he'd be like, oh man, we won. I got my kingdom back. I got the palace back, but this is his son. Of course he's not that way. And here's, I mean, it's just really sad. It says the king, when he hears about Absalom's death, the king was shaken. Have you ever had news that was so bad? It just, you just don't even know what to do. You're in shock. That's what he's dealing with. He went up to the room over the gateway of the palace and wept. As he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab, who was the relative who was trying to bring them together originally. Joab was told the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom and for the whole army. The victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day the troops heard it said the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into that city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. Meaning, a time when an army would be rejoicing with victory, they're stealing in as if they're ashamed of what they've done. And the king covered his face and cried aloud, Oh, my son Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That's how the David and Absalom story ends. It's tragedy. But and not only did Absalom die, 20,000 people. I mean, these are real people who were husbands and fathers and sons in the army. And there are no more. And there's grieving all over Israel. And it was so unnecessary. Because it all goes back to a person who refused to use resolve. Who, when it was much easier, way later, just begin to work through it and resolve it. And that's what happens when we don't resolve our relational messes. They don't get better over time. Now, we're not world leaders, so it doesn't generally, you know, it's not going to be a civil war where thousands of people die. But it certainly never gets better. And it tends to spiral down, whether we even realize it or not, in our relationships. And it could be it could it doesn't have to happen. And you think, well, you know, how could this have been different? How could this story have been different? Well, if David and Absalom too, but if David had resolved it the way we're going to talk about, it would have been totally different. Remember how I said, "Hey, if we're going to cross the finish, if we're going to cross cross the goal line and, and take our stuff and actually deal with them and work through them and score the touchdown and resolve it in a way that actually can make it things better, how do we do that? It takes two things: blank and blank. Here's the blanks: it takes repentance and forgiveness." If both people are are, are willing to do this, to repent and to forgive, then that relationship is going to get better in most cases. Repentance and forgiveness. And it takes both for both people. Because in most situations, not all, there are abuse situations and different situations where it is very one-sided, right? It's 100% one person is the problem and 0% on the other side. There are those kind of hurts and situations that happen. But most of the hurts in our lives, most of the conflicts in our relationships are not that way. They're not. It's not that all like this person's 100 percent goober and I'm 100 percent awesome. It's most of our stuff is not that way at all. So there's so all of us have something to own, to repent. We'll talk about what that means. All of us have something to forgive how we've been hurt, because in most situations, we're both agent and victim. Meaning I'm a victim of the way you've hurt me. Like if we have a relational hurt, or relational conflict, I'm a victim of how you've hurt me. But I'm also an agent of how I've hurt you. Even if it's in response to how you hurt me. So I'm both a victim. In most situations, I'm both victim and an agent. It's not one sided. So as an agent and a victim, what are my jobs? Well, as an agent of how I've hurt you, my job is to repent. As a victim, what is my job? To forgive. So let's talk about both. Let's talk about repentance. What, is, what does that mean? And how to do that? Repentance is a really, really hard thing to do. And it's a it's a Bible word. Like you don't hear people talk in our culture anymore, use the word repent or repentance. You just think of somebody on TV that, repent, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's not used in our culture, but it, is, it should be. Because it is a very, very powerful concept. It's very similar in the 12 steps to the ninth step, make amends. Um, it, it's, it's not shallow. It's not just saying, hey, I'm sorry, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. We good. It's way deeper than that. And it's hard to do because what happens in conflicts, this is part of our sinful nature and how we see everything through our own little selfish lens. In a conflict, then what we tend to do is we maximize how the other person has hurt us and we minimize how we've hurt them. Because what we've done makes sense to us. What they've done makes no sense at all. So it's, it takes some humility to say, you know what, I bet they're not as big a goober as I think, and I bet I'm more of a goober than I think. And I want to go into this open to what I need to own first. And it's, it's not that I've hurt them because of what they've done and all that. It's I want to own what I need to own, and I want to repent. Now, repent involves like being sorry and saying you're sorry, that's a good thing to do, but it's it's more than that. It's easy to say, I'm so, actually it's not easy to say I'm sorry, but it's even deeper than that. But you know, have you ever had somebody say I'm sorry in a way that totally unraveled the I'm sorry the way they do it? Because it's like, hey look, I'm sorry if, if there's any way I've ever offended you. If, if I've ever done anything to offend you, I just want you to know I'm sorry. That doesn't cut it. Uh, it, it means being specific about it. And often how that comes across, right, is, hey, look, if you're so super sensitive that you're going to get offended, I'm sorry. Which is a really bad sorry. Or another way to ruin I'm sorry is to explain, to say I'm sorry, but then explain why it was perfectly understandable that you would do that because they're such a goober. You know, I'm sorry, but you did this and, you know, I was just so hurt and, I, and you started going into their stuff. We're talking, we're not we're talking about their stuff right now. We're owning our stuff. Period. It's this is what we own. And what does it mean to repent? Or in the twelve step thing, which actually comes from a it was a it came from biblical stuff, the twelve step program. And and so make amends is really repent. It's the same thing. And what is that? Yeah, it is to be sorry, but it's to realize that not only what I've done is wrong, but it's to also own how what I've done has actually caused you considerable pain. And to realize that. And then repent is to say, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I want to live differently. I want to change my pattern. I, I, I don't want that to be that person. I don't want to hurt you that same way. And I, here's, what I'm, here's the steps I'm taking. I want you to hold me accountable to it. I know I'm not perfect. I won't be perfect. But I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm committed. That's repentance. It's saying, look, this is what I've done. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I hope you can forgive me. I realize that it really hurt you. It's the last thing I'd want to do is hurt you. And I did. But I don't want to do it anymore. I want to do better. And I believe God's going to help me do better. That's repentance. That's a powerful thing. So you own what you can own. And that comes first for a reason. And then, well, yeah, but what about what they've done? Okay. That's your victim thing, right? What do you do with that? You forgive. As hard as it is to repent, forgiveness, really hard because you have to give up something when you repent, you're giving up your right to get even you're getting up. You're giving up your right to hold on to that. And you're saying, you know what? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let the offense go. That is hard because when we're hurt, we don't want to let it go. Right. We want to hold on to it. We want to hold on to it in our heart and we want to hold on to it over their head. And keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing them up because it feels really good to do that. Or to get back and get even. It feels so good to get back and get even. Whether we withdraw affection or we get passive aggressive or we hurt them back in some way, it feels great. But forgiveness says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give up the offense and I'm going to give up my right to get even. And there's a cost to that. Forgiveness is costly, but so worth it. Like we act like holding on to that hurt is a valuable thing because it feels valuable, but it's not. It's destructive. Like when you and I hold on to something in our heart, it's like holding on to poison. And when we hold it over somebody's head, that that feels good. But that's actually not only destructive to them, it's also destructive to us. It, It really is worth it to let it go but it's hard. And essentially all we're doing when we forgive is we're doing the same thing that Jesus does. Many of us are Jesus followers who are listening right now. And we realize that God through Jesus has forgiven our sins fully and freely. And once you realize that, and Jesus talked about this a good bit when he was on the planet, that that's how God forgives. He said, that's what I want you to do for other people. I just want you to forgive other people the way that I forgave you. I want you to let it go just the way I've let it go with you. I want you to let it go. In fact, if you want to make God mad, there's a couple ways to make God mad in the Bible. that are really clear. One is be uh, mean or insensitive to the poor, the marginalized. That's one way. Another way is to not pass on the same kind of forgiveness that he gave to you. And Jesus multiple times talks about that. Because it's so inappropriate. It's like, how can I forgive you of everything? And then you're going to hold something over somebody. You, can, you, you can't do that. And not only is it bad for them, it's bad for our soul and bad for us. And it, it, it's so corrosive. And so God is just saying, hey, look, let's let's forgive. Now, forgiveness isn't the same thing as acting like it never happened. It's not the same thing as as staying in a situation where you'll continue to be harmed by an unsafe person. Um, there's something called boundaries that are really important in some situations where you say, you know what? I can forgive you, but as long as you're going to do that behavior, I'm out. Like, or, or, here's the boundary. And, here's the, and there's a book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend that will talk about all that. I can't get into it. But you can choose no matter what to forgive. Now, think about it. If both people in a conflict situation, get to this place, go into it saying, Hey, I'm going to repent and I'm going to forgive. I'm going to own what I need to own. And I'm going to forgive what the other person needs to own, whether they own it or not, I'm going to forgive. You can imagine that that's going to cross the goal line, right? It, especially both people play. And some of you are in situations right now, you're listening to me together. You're married You're a father, son, or a parent, child, whatever, your brother, sister, your friends. You're in a group together, but there's conflict, whatever it is. And both of you are, then both of you can play. Like, you're both here. Why not take this step and have the hard conversation and say, I'm going to own what I'm going to own. I'm going to forgive what I I need to forgive. And if both people do that, chances of you crossing the goal line are really high. Other times you're like, well, wait a minute. I, I don't know if that other person's going to play or not. Like they're not the kind of people that are going to do that. I don't think that's going to work. Well, the Bible talks about that. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What Paul is saying is you do you. You do your part. You repent. You forgive. And if they don't, you know what's going to happen? You'll still be free of that thing you're holding on to, that pain that's weighing you down. You'll be free of that. And you will get farther down the field. It will be better. And it at least gives the other person the opportunities. You model what it looks like to repent and forgive. You'll model for them what that looks like. So maybe they'll do it too. So as you think about your relationships, as we think about, you know, hey, where's their unresolved stuff? I'm going to encourage us to say, man, let's let's have a repentance and forgiveness decision and, and maybe even conversation. And we're going to take that to God in prayer here in a moment, because I know God wants our relationships to be reconciled. It's part of why he came, not just to reconcile us between him and God, but us and each other. He wants, I mean, our relationships really can go all the way when it comes to conflict resolution. It's not easy, but it's really awesome when it happens. But before I pray about that, um, I want to pray for you in general. And here's what I mean. So every year uh, for the month of July, I do a study break. It's a really important time for me because it's when I go and do advanced planning for the year. So that's where, where we do series planning for the coming year uh, in terms of just direction for the church and other things. It's a really important time for that. This year, there's a bunch of new things that's happening this fall that you'll hear about that is going to take more out of me. So it's a really, really important time. I tried to get in some vacation in there, too. This one will be a little light on that, but there's just but it'll be really, really important. It's also a time I can pray in ways that I I just don't I should be able to do. But I, otherwise but I could do it in, in a in that environment much better. And so please pray for that time that it really is what God would want it to be. But it's also a time where I can pray for you. And so most years I do this every year for the last 16 years, except for last year, When I went on study break, I took a prayer request from you and prayed for those. And uh, and I and that's what I'd love for you to do. What is one way I could pray for you? Text pray to five, eight, five, seven, eight. And you'll get back to a thing and and uh, and just fill it out and let me know. And uh, and I'll share that with our elders, which is the group of people who are like our board, but with spiritual stuff. And God says he listens to The prayers of elders, James 5, in a unique way, and answers. And so I take God for what he says. And we've seen over the years incredible answers to prayer. And so let us pray for you. And uh, I didn't do it last year because I couldn't. I I, I was terrible. But I I was so depleted going into study break last summer. I was like, God, I can't. I wish I could. I just, I can't take thousands of prayer requests. It it takes a lot of time and a lot of out. And I was like, man, I just, I can't. But this year I can't. And I'm looking forward to doing that. So text pray to five, eight, five, seven, eight. And that'll be great. But for now, let's pray together. And again, prayer is talking to God in our own words. He's our father. He loves us. You don't have to use special prayer flowery language or anything. Just talk to him. And as we bow our heads, I want you to think about maybe a relationship that you know could be better, that you know there's mess that you just haven't resolved and, and just commit to do your part. And ask him to help you own what you need to own. To repent. And then ask him to help you to forgive what you need to forgive. Because often we need his help to do that. Father, I do pray that you would help us to move past the goal line. Especially in our key relationships. I pray that a, a whole lot of relationships will get way better And I know you want that. And I I know you'll always empower obedience. So, God, would you pull us toward reconciliation? In Jesus' name, amen.